Hello, and welcome to a Came From New Jersey podcast. If you don't already know, we talk about music from New Jersey, album by album. Um, I'm Pete, as always, joined by our other host, Bob. What's up, Bob? Hey, hey what's up, Pete? Doing good. Nice, uh, nice night tonight. So Beautiful night. Beautiful rainy night in New Jersey. Um, but today we're actually joined by a very special guest um, who is here to help us talk through our album of the week, um, Mike Lisk, otherwise known as AP Mike from The Best Show. What's up, Mike? Let's go, guys. Oh, Welcome God. to the hey, show. Thanks, thanks for coming. Yeah. Where are you guys in New Jersey exactly? Um, so I am in Leonardo, um, oh, okay. right by Atlantic Islands, Monmouth County. Yeah. Uh, that's... Uh, that's Kevin Smith's territory, right? I, I am two blocks away from the clerk store. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Yep. And I am in uh, the beautiful township of Brick, New Jersey. Oh, okay. Uh, here in Ocean County. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm right next to you. I'm, I've, I've been staying uh, most of the summer, actually most of the pandemic, I've been staying with my father in Howell. Oh, hey, Howell. So hey, yeah. I'm in Howell oh, right now, but I, you know, I'm still in Bayonne, but I've been spending a lot of time in Howell. Well, welcome to the shore. We're happy to have you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a great place to be. Um, Pete, you did mention it's a special episode because we have Mike on with us, but even more so because we're talking about uh, we're talking about something we normally don't talk about, which is a new release. Do you want to uh, clue everybody in? Yeah, that's true. So today we're talking about um, the new Bruce Springsteen album. It's called Letter to You. Um, it came out last Friday, which was... The 24th. Yeah, the 24th of October. Oh, 23rd. Um, I'm sorry, 23rd. 23rd of October. Um, today, I mean, you're going to be hearing this on uh, Wednesday. So it will have come out the Friday, last Friday. Um, yeah, so really, so re- yeah. really new release. Um, he released the album on Friday along with a kind of documentary film. I think it was on Apple TV. Um, where, you know, it basically goes through the making of the album. So, you know, we watched that, we listened to the record. Um, we did all of that in just a short few days so that we could get this out. And, you know, I mean, I knew that a lot of our listeners would be listening to this. Um, so I just wanted to, you know, do something a little more timely, try something new out because we've, we've kind of been bouncing around the eighties, the nineties, um, 2000s kind of all over so i thought it would be good to do something you know that came out more recent that people were listening to well and and it's funny you say that because i actually have had a couple listeners who've reached out to me and said hey are you guys going to talk about this and and a friend also who who happens to be a listener but he was like oh i've already listened and you guys going to talk about it and i didn't spill the beans so uh hey surprise everybody (laughs) i have to confess though and you know we're going to talk about the record a lot and we're also going to talk about the movie but i have to confess i did not watch that's fine and mike i'm hoping you guys can kind of give me give me the uh siskel and ebert treatment here um how was it mike what did you think i thought it was okay um (laughs) it's similar it's similar to what he's been doing lately you know i'm a i'm a diehard springsteen fan pretty much my whole life um, even though I was reluctant at first, I mean, I, I was in high school when Born to Run came out and, uh, Darkness on the Edge of Town. Uh, so those records were huge. You know, you couldn't get yeah. away. You couldn't, I couldn't get away from them to the point where 
I, I, I sort of was being rebellious and not appreciating them. You know, my friends were into it. Everywhere you went, you heard those records. And yeah. uh, so I was a little rebellious and, oh, you know, Springsteen, yeah, all the jocks are into that music. You know, it's <laughs> oh, like, yeah. so yeah, yeah. So it, it was a bit much at the time. I didn't really become like a true blue fan until the river. Uh, I think I, I was in my first year in college when it's, when it came out. Okay. And I just thought, you know, he was going a little deeper on some of those songs. Mm-hmm. Um, there weren't all the big anthems. I mean, darkness has its, you know, uh, deeper songs too, but, uh, the river was sort of the one that made me a convert. Uh, I saw him on that tour. Uh, and you know, you wouldn't believe what you have to do to get tickets, uh, back then. I mean, with that, I had to, actually, my sister did it. She, she entered a lottery. You sent in, you sent in a self-addressed stamped envelope. And then it was a lottery drawing and you either got tickets or you didn't. It was a, wow. It, yeah, it was a, they had, he was doing all sorts of things to sort of help people get tickets and not get the boot, the scalpers get them because the demand was so intense then. And, yeah. uh, you know, you had to go to it. You had to go in person to a Ticketron outlet <laughs> and the ticket Ticketron outlets at the time could be anything from a, you know, a magazine stand. I think there was a Ticketron in a department store I used to go to at Mammoth Mall. You had to go to all these different places. There, there was, there was the, fam- the famous one. It was, it was like a head shop in Tom's River. And that was where every, all the cool people went to get their, their tickets for shows. But, the, yeah. but it was a mob scene. You know? I mean, people sure. would stay overnight. You know, there'd be people camped out. Uh, so I preferred Bamberger's. <laughs> I felt like you know, not too many people knew it was in there, and I got a bunch of tickets for shows in that in that that Ticketron outlet. Wow, that's awesome! I mean, so, it's still a mob every time he plays. I mean, I feel like he could play Madison Square Garden for like two years straight and sell out every night at this point. You know? Yeah, I, I've wild. seen him many. I've seen him many times. I guess the last time I saw him was uh, well, no, I saw I saw him in a new MetLife Stadium. Probably, oh yeah, probably on uh, working for a dream tour. I think okay, that, I think that may have been the last time. And that was like a last minute thing. Sure. Um, and I actually ended up getting a really good ticket, and I enjoyed the show more than I thought I was going to, uh, because I was, you know, his last ten years. I mean, his last few records haven't really done a lot for me. You know. Yeah. Uh, it's more hit or miss. I was going to ask how deep you went. I mean, so it sounds like every time he puts a record out, you at least give it kind of a cursory listen. Well, yeah, now that there's Spotify, sure, I, yeah. mean, I used to, you know, I was pretty much buying them, you know, still. Uh, yeah. But I think I think the last record, I mean, I'm not counting the Broadway soundtrack. Uh, what was the one before that? The um, Magic? Or, no, uh, no, no. It's, a Wrecking uh, Ball? The one with Tom Morello on it. It's sort of an odds and ends record. High Hopes, oh, I think. High Hopes. High hopes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I listened to that once on Spotify and saying, okay, that's not for me. Yeah, so I, I never bought that one. I had the um, same feeling. But uh, you know, I'm always interested in what he's up to. He's an interesting artist. I'm still, I'm still interested to hear what he's doing. You sure. know, Mike, I actually like the way you put that. He is, he is still an interesting artist. But I largely feel very much the same. The last ten years, you know, and we'll get to this record. But uh, not, it hasn't been a lot for me. 
Um, mm-hmm. What is the last Bruce record? And I want to, if you don't mind, I love to talk to people who have a long history with something like this, you uh-huh. know, with an artist. What's the last record that you felt really connected to or that you, that you put on? And it's like, I, I really love this record. I don't know if I'd say for the whole album, but Magic did have some uh, really good songs on there. Uh, Girls in Summer Dresses, I really, really enjoyed that song. He, he was he was trying to do something different. I mean, he was yeah. trying to do something different on uh, Western Stars. Is that what it is? Western Stars? The yeah, last, last record. one. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, that just didn't do anything for me either. You know, I, I, I went to see the movie, you know, I tried to give it a shot. Um but I, you know, I didn't know what he was going for there. You know, the people were talking about, oh, he's going for like a Glenn Campbell sound. But I'm like, in 2018 or 19, yeah. whatever year, <laughs> it, it just seemed like that's weird. You know, okay, you know, he's 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 doing his thing. You know, yeah. you gotta you gotta let him do his thing. But I, you know, I, I didn't connect with it. I um, I wanted to ask because because you mentioned it. Going back to that the the tour the the river album tour, and and you have seen them over you know many times oh, over the years yeah many yeah, times you've seen them many times. What what is the biggest thing that you think has changed, or what's something that's changed through that? Because you know we're talking about it now. He sells out MetLife days and days and show after show, yeah, after show yeah. you know in strings yeah. And he was doing that back in 1982, you know so. Yeah. But what is it? Is there anything that you think has changed other than hey, he's got he's just got more songs to play? Um, is there anything else that you'd note? Like hey, this is a little bit this is notably different. Th- this album, or you just mean in oh, general? The live show, the live oh, show. Oh, the last time I saw him. Yeah. Uh, well, it, he's one of the he's one of the best live performers you can see. Yeah. I mean, and if you're a fan, you know you're going to have a good time. You know, I've I've, I've never like I said I. I went I, the last time I went to see him was uh, working on a dream, which I didn't even really care for that album. Mm-hmm. But it was like a last minute. Oh, I'm just going to buy a ticket for myself and go over there. And I and I did, and uh, I ended up having a great time. Um, live, he's phenomenal. You know, I mean, he he knows how to put on a great show. So you you're not. I've never had a bad time in a Bruce Springsteen show. Um, that's kind of that's kind of the energy I've always gotten. Is that. Mm-hmm. Even through, you know, I, I, there's not really many valleys, you know, no. there's just been a lot of, of rolling hills. And so it seems like that's the one big consistent because I'd say his past 20 years of, of recorded output, there's some real peaks and some real valleys. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just fascinating that he's been able to keep such a connection with the fan base. And I think that live show matters a lot. Actually, Yeah. 100%. I mean, I, I had to endure some, you know, they call them the bathroom break songs, <laughs> you know, where, you know, the crowd and, and they, yeah, people, you know, uh, whether it's nice or not, people vote with, with their feet to the bathroom during certain songs during, during concerts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, one song was uh, Youngstown. That was a big bathroom break for a song for a while. And then for me, more recently, it was Outlaw Pete. I mean, he he, he really, he, he wanted Outlaw Pete to get to win over the audience. And uh, the crowd was just not going for that, you know. <laughs> he pushed that song hard. I mean, yeah. I, think, I think he played that song 
at every show on that tour. And uh, so I give him credit. You know, he tried to get it get it through. Youngstown was was similar. You yeah. know, Youngstown isn't isn't as bad as Outlaw Pete, but it's I don't know. It's just I don't think it's the anthem he thought it was. You know, uh, Mary's Place strikes mm-hmm. me as another one where he thought that would be another huge crowd pleaser. And I don't know. It's a, it's a little corny that song, right? I mean, I, I think so. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So sometimes I think he he misses he misses the mark as far as knowing where to uh, edit himself, maybe. Or I mean, and and that applies to this new record to me. Uh, yeah. There there's some songs I like, but then there's other songs I'm like, oh, you know, what's going on here? You know. Uh, should we just jump into the new record, or let's let's talk new record? Um, okay. So, because one of the things we try to do, and and we've actually done a, a Bruce Springsteen record before, so we don't have to establish too much. We're all pretty familiar, but I would say that I've given most of his newer records at least a cursory listen. Jeez, uh, when's the last one I really didn't check out? I, I you know I, I've kind of worked to to go back and listen and listen and listen. And, um, but I haven't given them, I, I, there's some of Western stars I enjoyed. Uh, I did, I actually thought magic was a good record. There's a couple songs. I mean, since, since the rising, which now we're going back almost 20 years, um, it's been real check in, check out for me. So this record, give the deep headphones, listen, and, uh, yeah, kind of excited to talk about it. Pete, you're, you're the same. You actually have a pretty deep familiarity with the Bruce material, and as we're discussing with Mike, he does too. So, yeah, let's get right into it, Pete. Cool. One of the things that I thought about when uh, when I was listening to it was that you know, and we were just talking about how great of a live act he is. Um, it felt like a lot of these songs to be were written for a live setting, and I was just wondering, like, you know, when a Bruce record comes out for me, I'm usually thinking to myself, like, this song is going to kill live you know, or, you know, like what's going to be on the set list basically. Um, and I was thinking that a lot during this. And then I thought to myself, well, he's not actually going to tour for it. You know, like when is that actually going to happen? So, so I'm wondering, you know, how much the lack of touring is going to affect people's kind of, uh, you know, reception of this, because for me, uh, you know, again, it's always, I will listen to the record and then I'll, if we, if I don't even, if, even if I don't go to the show, I'll watch, you know, live, live footage of that tour and kind of see how those songs land live. Um, what do you guys think about that? Did you think it really makes any difference that he's not going to be able to tour on this at this point or, or what? Well, I, even in the recording though, I mean, I, I think it's the first time he's recorded with the live E street band in a long time. Yeah. So, so the way it was recorded, gives you that feeling, you know, because yeah. that's what, that's what it was. It was, they were basically doing it live in the studio. Um, Did you, you can feel some of that energy here. I think you can feel it on some of these tracks. Oh, yeah. It has a was, throwback on that, in that sense, for sure. I was going to ask you guys. Yeah. I mean, I think you can a little bit, but it's also, it's really slick. And that's one of the things that I felt like was slicker than even some of the more recent records, um, which I felt like took away from the energy a little bit for me, at least. Mm. No, I, I didn't. I didn't feel like it was quite there. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I, I like the overall ener- energy to me was a boost. You know, I, yeah. I, I like I like this record better than Western Stars. Mm-hmm. You know, even though we'll we'll get to some songs that 
I didn't really care for. Sure. But I, I, I like the the sound, the overall sound of the band. Like you said, it, it's, it's got that live feeling, yeah. which uh, just automatically gives it a little more energy. Yeah, to so, me, I, I think you can almost... There's a warmth, almost a glow that comes from that uh, live in the studio and having the band there. I, I do. I'm kind of two worlds on it, Pete. I do hear some of that bigger production, but it's on the quiet moments on the record. You know, where the ones that are a little bit more pulled back, mm-hmm. um, and it almost feels like there's that. <clears throat> it's. I have to give Bruce Springsteen a lot of credit here. And it's a weird thing. Who, who the hell am I to give Bruce Springsteen credit? <laughs> but uh, he is able to, with a both a, a beautiful and unique and, and pretty singular voice that's gritty, to have pop vocal production in a lot of places where it's clean and it's almost it's not it's not apart from the music, but it's a little higher in the mix. But it doesn't play like that most of the time. I think the full band parts of this record really pull it in, keep it really kind of grounded to the music and with the music. But in some of the quieter moments, um, I'm thinking of the, oh, geez, what's the the one song that I really noted on? Um, uh, House of a Thousand Guitars. Um, some, of the, some of the opening track on One Minute You're Here, you know, which is a little bit quieter. And then even the closer, I think you do feel, he, he feels a little bit apart from it. But overall... Uh, what pulled me in and, and we can kind of keep moving here is that <clears throat> that that presence of the E Street band in the recording gives it this this kind of glow warmth that brings me to you know uh, early 80s Bruce you know it, it reminds me a lot of, it, it, there's parts of it that feel very throwback to me without feeling forced which is a good thing yeah well, there, no, I, there, I agree and there are a handful of songs that were actually written in the seventies that he, this is the first time he, he actually like laid them down. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that too, because I mean, a few of those, I think they would have been great on, you know, Dark I'm, I'm getting River. ahead of myself. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, so yeah, Mike, give us some of your thoughts. Let's, let's kind of, let's start unpacking this record. Cause I think we all have a lot to say, which is a good thing. Yeah. I think that's a good thing. Cause I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if we've all got, uh, if it's all, 2000 percent glowing but if you're able to write a record uh some uh 40 years into yeah, the career yeah. that uh that you got people talking 50 years mm-hmm. um you're doing well yeah yeah no he's you know he's he's a great artist i mean there's no denying that uh but you know do, do we want to just start like track by track is that what we, we, we want yeah, to we do can, or we could do that okay yeah let's let's do that well you know what first let me let me say this first Overall, let's let's give our overall. Overall, okay. I f- I felt good about this record. Like mm-hmm. I, I I've listened to it, I'd say two times straight through, and, and this is this is mm-hmm. what I call a headphones listen. So I'm deep listening, and then half tra- half again, kind of going through and sorting my feelings. And there was enough on this record that I think I'm going to go back to it. Um, and there's some sort of undecided feelings, but I I can be pretty decisive when it comes down to it, but I I felt good about it. Like I said, a little bit of a throwback, but, um, but pretty memorable. Pete, how do you feel? So I guess I felt similarly, I mean, pretty memorable. There are a few songs that I could see myself going back to. There are a few songs that I 
am kind of undecided. I mean, granted, at this point, you know, to peel back the curtain, we're recording this on a Monday. You'll be hearing it on a Wednesday. So we've had, you know, about three days to listen to it. Um, you know, so there are some songs that might grow on me in time. Um, I do feel like it's overall stronger than a lot of the more recent Springsteen material. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess my frustration with it is kind of the frustration that I have with a lot of recent Springsteen material. It feels really self-referential and, uh, you know, there's a lot of the same, you know, references and language going on, which is, you know, not to say that he, he's great at doing that, you know, but sometimes I, I wish he would just kind of push it a little further. Um, mm-hmm. I agree. I, yeah, I was actually noting down little, yeah, he's got all these self references to other songs, right. You know, and it's like, really, you know, all right, I guess this, you're reflecting on your life. I mean, that's the records, uh, was inspired by the death of, uh, you know, his bandmates, uh, Danny Federici, uh, Clarence yeah, from Clemens. A, from his very first band, right? And yeah. All, yeah, and also, well, uh, George Thies uh, passed away, I guess, in two, two years ago. And that was his first band, the Castiles. Right. So I guess that sort of inspired a number of the songs. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I was listening to it today, and I'm like, why don't you just call the album fatal lethal death you know and just get right get right to the point you know yeah uh because i mean yeah a lot of the a few of these songs actually i think they're the better songs are are the because i guess they're more personal are the songs that are reflecting on uh people he's lost um so yeah i mean right off the bat you've got one minute you're here okay uh yeah big black train coming down the track oh all right what's that yeah you know, okay i mean you know <laughs> but, he's he's not subtle nobody's ever accused bruce springsteen of being subtle no and, you know <laughs> but but uh i mean i like that i like that first song i think it's 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 sort of uh i like the the, the sound of it the band everything sounds nice yeah uh, that was a nice opening song for me yeah. yeah i agree i think the opening track which is uh one, One minute, minute here. here. I, I thought it struck the note that the album needed to kick off. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as you said, he's not a subtle guy, um, and he he hits you here. And there's, you know, like everything, the lyrics to the record, he's got a, a bit of whimsy, but but it's always that Main Street whimsy. You know, mm-hmm. he he's speaking plain and he's putting it out there, and it's from the heart. Um, but he's setting the tone because this record's kind of you know it, it, it is a theme record. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's got a narrative that's through it. And I think the first track is really a, a, a nice track. It's a great intro to the record. And, mm-hmm. and as we said, sets the tone. Pete, where are you at? It's a keeper to me, by the way. I'm keeper. Yeah, I, me too. I, I like that song. Yeah, no, keeper. I think it's a good opener. I mean, I feel like it's perfect, you know, that it opens with just him and a guitar and you kind of feel the rest of the band emerge as the song goes on, you know? Um, like they're getting into position for the rest of the record or something. It's a, uh, it's cool. Good opener. Um, I just wanted to say one thing too, though, before um, we move on, 
I read a Guardian, um, the Guardian, the paper. I read a review of the new record and it said, it is full of Springsteen bingo, trains, rivers, the edges of town, and women called Janie. A number of things are on fire. <laughs> and yeah, I thought yeah. that was hilarious. It's perfect. Uh, yeah, you know, I, go ahead, Mike. No, I, yeah, I didn't see that review, but um, yeah, my second listen, you know, I heard, I heard some of the references the first time, but then you listen to it again and it's like, Oh, almost every song's got a little inside reference, you know? Right, right. So, yeah. I thought a lot about the the song Glory Days when he says, I hope when I get old, I don't sit around thinking about it, but I probably will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah. Here, right. here, here we are. Well, yeah. I've been, I've been in a lot of my recent listening, and it's a, you know, uh, it's a weird thing to say, obviously, but if you're somebody who listens to a lot of music and, and you do the nerdy, deep listen, um, especially with a singular artist, I've been noting a lot of lyrical repetitions recently. And I think it says a lot because I don't know that it's always conscious. And with Bruce, to be very honest, I don't think it's always conscious. I, I mean, some yeah. of that I think is is referential, especially on this record. But I think there's sometimes this dude, this is the way he thinks. And these are the visual and linguistic reference points he is drawn to. Right. And uh, I mean, I, there's probably a grad student paper out there. So someone <laughs> please take that and run with it. I'm sure that's um, true. <laughs> Well, well, with that all said, where do we stand? How do you guys feel about the second song of this record, the title track, Letter to You? Mike, you want to start? Okay. Uh, yeah, I guess this is the single. I mean, I, this was out right, yeah. a few weeks ago, right? Um, Letter to You, right. Ghosts, I think, was a single, too. That's right. Yeah. Um, for me, the, the, first ver- the first verse is a stumbling block. It's just like... Neath a, neath a crowd of mongrel, mongrel trees. <laughs> I, I pulled that, yeah, I can't even speak it. I don't know how he sings it. Neath a crowd of mongrel trees, I pulled that bothersome thread. I'm like, what, you know, what's he talking about? You know, it's, and, I, and I have this problem, we'll get to it in other songs, where, you know, he's trying to, I guess, be more poetic with, with the lyrics, but... He, he's stumbling and it gets clunky and it just doesn't seem normal. It doesn't seem natural. Um, so, you know, the song itself, it's okay. Uh, you know, who's writing letters anymore? You know, <laughs> it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, you have to put yourself in that mood, I guess, but um, it's, it's okay. You know, yeah. and the, the band, the band is sort of helping every song, for me with this album it, it, it it's got that overall e street band sound that i like so there's a little more energy even to the songs that to me are just sort of okay yeah yeah i mean i like the energy of it especially you know as it's moving from the first song and kind of building up you know it kicks it up a notch it gets a little louder you feel the e street band in the room i like it for that but i also this was the song like you said was the first single I remember whenever that came out a few weeks ago, a month ago or whatever. Um, and I was reading all the press around it, you know, and it was talking about how he was going to finally record these tracks that he had had for decades and all right. this. And then I finally listened to the track and I was like, I don't love it, you know? So I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> yeah, super excited for the record based on this, mm-hmm. but, um, and it's still probably not one of my, definitely not one of my favorites, but, um, it's all right. I don't know. I, I think I'd keep it, but, um, 
not one of my favorites. Oh, I like it. I like it. I uh, I think, you know, a recurring theme for both Pete and I, Mike, is that uh, we we are we are like grim reapers when a song drags beyond four minutes. Typically, mm-hmm. it's okay. got to be it's got to be a really great song, or an album good. drags beyond forty minutes. That's right. Okay. All right. Yeah. This song, I think, clicks by. Uh, I probably could, I could probably trim trim this song by a minute twenty. And feel really, really good about it. But I like it. I actually thought mm-hmm. um, on the stronger side, I really like the E Street band presence here. And I think you said it, Pete. You feel it a lot. Uh, it starts to seep in and it's kind of from where they come in through uh, um, One Minute You're Here and then into Letter to You. This was enough to pull me into the record and like, okay. Like mm-hmm. the the when you... I almost approach every record that's a new release as a stranger. Um, but this was my take off my coat song. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. I, I feel familiar here. Mm-hmm. So I liked it. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I can see why it was released as a single. Yeah. You know, even though it may not be my favorite song on the album, I think it, it, it sort of says, Oh, okay. They've got the old, you know, the older sound that most of the fans are familiar with. Yeah. People, people would be encouraged, you know. Yeah, you know, and and I, I don't want to derail us too hard, but I really, you asked the question, Pete, would touring not being able to tour hurt this record? And it's kind of like, I don't know, no, yes, you know. I, I mean, being able to go tour is certainly not going to, especially if you're Bruce Springsteen, is not going to hurt, right? But this record, honestly, it, it, it's not like Bruce Springsteen can go and play small venues per se, you know. But this is the kind of record I feel like you could you could settle in if, if he was pl- if he plopped down and played this record straight through in a you know five thousand cap or small small arena. This would be a pretty good. It, there's a certain level of intimacy when the E Street Band comes on and that kind of warmth. Like there's parts during this song and then moving into the next song, Burning Train, which I felt a little bit differently about but there's parts of this that almost have a holiday feel to it because there's a warmth and like these aren't holiday songs this is actually thematically quite dark certain times but uh but there's that familiarity with the east street sound and like bruce and the east street that just really pulls you in um track three burning train where do you guys stand pete you want to kick us off so I'm undecided on this one. I feel like this is a song that's going to grow on me over time. Um, I like the beat. I like how dri- <clears throat> how driving it is. Um, but after two, three listens, it, it like I don't know. It doesn't do all that much for me. Um, I didn't really dive into the lyrics. Um, it was interesting because I was reading a lot of other reviews that came out about it, and a lot of reviewers thought that this was like one of the high points of the record. Um, I didn't really feel that, but you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not on my cut list though. So what'd you guys think? I, well, I, you know, it, it makes it a, a reference, sort of an allusion to, uh, I'm on fire. Right. You know? Yeah. But, inst- it, but instead you set me on fire, uh, on fire, you know, so this is, and again, it's, we're, we're on to our second train song yeah in, in, in three songs so far <laughs> so, so in this instance uh i would say the train is more freudian let's put it that way yeah and 
So, you know, he's on fire, you know, and yeah, he's uh, the white sun's burning, black wings beating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I, I ran my fingers across the hollow of your stomach as you yeah. lay breathing. Yeah. Okay. So this, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is a different train. Yeah, this this track, um, I like the tempo, but I didn't, I actually was thinking about it because I felt like the first two tracks were strong, and I thought, when, structurally, I actually like how this song fits into the flow of the album, but Pete, you're right, on re-listens, this was one of the ones on my 2.5, and the .5 I went back to this one and be like, how do I feel about this? Um, I would go undecided or I would even cut it. Uh, I do like where it is and having an up-tempo song as the third track to kind of bridge. Um, but it wasn't, it doesn't feel vital to me like the first two songs do. And, mm. uh, you know, I actually think, you know, when you pose the question or think about the idea of like songs that are written for a live environment, this song has the tempo and pacing of, of a song that could really rock in a live environment, but it just doesn't have the resonance um, lyrically or, or any of the vocal tracking that I think could catch, you know, mm-hmm. that really hooks an audience in. So I might cut it. I'm going to, I'm going to give it a cut. All right. I'm, I'm looking at the lyrics as we're doing this. And uh, I see another self-reference. Uh, Darling, I'm blessed in your blood and marked by Cain. Uh, so oh. you know, does that mean he got his red wings? Do you, do you know what that means? <laughs> <laughs> right. I, right, uh, right. I don't know. Uh, I may be reading too much into this, but uh, <laughs> an allusion to Adam raised the cane also in this song. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, he takes the train over to see Janie, and Janie needs a shooter. <laughs> Let's oh, talk. Brother, here we go. Okay. Yeah. Let's here we go. Janie needs a shooter. All right. Um, Pete, kick us off. Um, I feel like this is Bruce doing his best Bob Dylan impression. Um, I love Bob Dylan and I like when Bruce tries to do Dylan. So, um, I thought it was good. I thought that if like, I could see this song being on dark side or the river and I feel like it would have fit perfectly in with that, those kind of groups of songs. Agree. Um, yeah. So, I mean, definitely a keeper for me. I feel like it's one of the better songs on the record. Um, my only thing is that it just goes on for like way too long. Like I felt like the last two and a half minutes could have been saved for like kind of a live only, you know, like outro sort of thing. Right. Um, It would have been perfect as like a two and a half minute song. And it was, you know, much longer than that. So so Pete, I'll, I'll, I'll agree and say that structurally, this was another that went around for round three. Cause I actually, this is my favorite song on the record. I really like it. However, it's hard for me to say it's my favorite song on the record when I go, structurally, I believe we could cut it at 3.05 and be totally fine. Um, there is some value in that second half. You know, I, I should be fair. But it's the longest song on the record. It's one second shorter than if I was a priest. But it's 6.49. And the second half of the record really, the song really loses the momentum. All that said, the uh, lyrical content I enjoyed um, the storytelling, you know, um, I really thought about the fact that Janie needs a shooter. This is by the way, one of the songs that was from that group of songs, um, that was, 
you know, so-called was recorded or uh, originally written prior to Greetings from Asbury Park. Right. Um, but I was like, you know, I wonder how this plays in 2020 in difference because Shooter is has a meaning in 2020 that I don't know that it had been then, you know, um, in 1973. It, it, so let me quote Urban Dictionary here. Uh, a shooter, a designated person whom you can rely on to rob or kill somebody. <laughs> don't make me call up my shooters on your goofy eye. So, uh, but it is, you know, more colloquially used as kind of a like, you know, uh, my friends or somebody who's there for me. And I guess it might feel the same. Like I was listening to it almost under that lens. Like, oh, Janie needs a shooter. Yeah, like a good friend. <laughs> but but why not just say a good friend? I mean, yeah. uh, you know, you got you guys seem to have liked it more than I did. Okay. I mean, when when I when I listened to it, um, I mean, this was the one I could tell. All right, this is from his earlier period. You know, I'm not I'm not a huge fan of uh, Greetings from mm-hmm. Asbury Park. There's some good songs on there, right? But but you can tell he he's not under control. You know, he yeah, he's trying to do the Bob Dylan thing, but he's but he's out of control. He, you know, he doesn't know how to edit himself. Right. And, That's uh, a really good point. And and it's a really good quote in the movie. Actually, it's from Bob Dylan. Told uh, who did he tell? Uh, John, Clive Davis, maybe. Mm-hmm. He he. I guess he he listened to the first Springsteen record, and he told Clive Davis that he uh, he thinks Springsteen should be careful. He might use every word in a dictionary, right? <laughs> so, you, know, you know, which you know, yeah, it sort of gets right to the point. And, and this song, I mean, I don't know what to make of it. Uh, you know, the first couple verses, you know, Janie's rejecting a uh, a doctor, yeah. and then she rejects a, a, a priest, and then a cop, and yeah. then I'm like, all right, you know, what's a shooter? You know. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know it's, <laughs> I, I don't get it. That's the thing. I didn't. I didn't think like like Janie needs a shooter now. I don't know what he means when he's saying shooter. Totally, mm-hmm. you know what yeah. I mean? Like it doesn't come across like he means a friend. Like, yeah, like, you know, it's it's odd. It's an yeah. odd play of words. Yeah, I just don't get what he's going for. And the weird thing for me was that. Uh, are you familiar with Warren Zevon? Did a song called "Genie Needs a Shooter." I'm oh, not, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay. Oh, that's Warren, Warren Zevon had heard about this. He just heard a song title. Somebody had mentioned a song title. And for whatever reason, uh, Warren Zevon misheard it. And he thought the song was called Genie Needs a Shooter. Right. And and so he kept asking to hear this song whenever he ran into Springsteen. <laughs> and I guess Springsteen kept putting him off. So then he, he decided to just write his own song called Genie Needs a Shooter. And yeah. and Bruce Springsteen gets a, a credit, you know, he's credited on that song. So when I saw this title, I'm like, oh, Springsteen's just going to do, do his, his version, his version right. you know. Right. And, and it, no, it, it's they're two different songs. <laughs> Warren, Warren Zevon never got to hear this song. Yeah. And so he, he, he wrote his own. And it's his, it's really it's his song, except he sort of misheard the title <laughs> I, don't wow. know, I don't know how how bruce even got a, a credit but I, I guess needs a shooter is enough of, in a title of a song to to give him a credit i don't know i will tell but, you this i'm I'm looking at because you mentioned that, i looked it up while we're talking 
and I'm reading the lyrics. Let me read the lyrics a little bit because it's all, he might've credited Bruce because he borrowed liberally from some of Bruce's imagery and such. Oh, okay. I was born down by the river where the dirty water flows. The oh, okay. cold wind cuts through me. <laughs> it's almost a satire. All right. Okay. Burning. Exactly. Exactly. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, let me see. Where's the other one? Uh, the night was cold and rainy down by the borderline as I lay there in the darkness with a pistol by my side. So he, he was like, okay, I, I want, there's got to be a great story behind this because the one you told me is fantastic, but I wonder if he, yeah. Written yeah, by, I, didn't, I didn't go back to listen to the song. It's been a long time since I heard it. Yeah, but I've never heard it. I'm, I'm it, so yeah, curious now. It's, uh, it's a good song. Um, but yeah, I, yeah I, I, seeing the lyrics side by side, Okay, you know, Warren Zevon in his mind, you know, he's got a, a real warped sense of humor. Yeah. You know, he probably said, let me let me do a, my version of a Bruce Springsteen song. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to poke the bear. This guy won't <laughs> let me hear the song. All right, here, I'll write my yeah. – this is probably what you wrote, right, Bruce? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it sounds like, Mike, that you're going to cut this one. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not going to get ahead of myself and say what I think about the early – the other early songs on this album, but for me, listening to them now, I can see why we're not hearing that we didn't hear them all these years. Yeah. They, they, they didn't, you know, I, mean, I give I give him credit that he put it on the, the slush pile, right? Yeah. For all these years. I don't know why he dug it up now. <laughs> well, you know, it, you know it, it, I actually think that's such a great point because uh, I, I did catch there was an interview with Bruce on NPR on, you know, I don't know if it was Fresh Air or something, but I caught part of it while I was driving. And they made reference to his early period where he was, you know, we'll say heavily influenced by Bob Dylan. Yeah. And he cops to it clearly. He's like, yeah, I was trying to be Bob Dylan. I was trying uh-huh. to write like that. I mean, who wasn't? And, yeah, no secret, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But he uh, he was like, you know, I wish I had kept going with it a little bit, but I wasn't the best at it, and maybe I would have learned. And it's so fascinating because I believe that he continued on with a certain level of storytelling in his songwriting. You know, you look at his his catalog, and it's not like he he went to just you know a completely different form. He just he, he evolved, and his style grew, and he, he kind of left some of the more awkward or stumbling parts of his his lyric writing behind him to the early catalog and and simplified it for lack of a better term Mm -hmm. that said exactly what you said like it's interesting to dig this one up and maybe there's a reverence maybe there's something that we don't know in terms of these songs as far as like not editing them or really kind of going you know what there's something about the song that i like but let me let me trim the fat and and cut to the gist a little bit or figure out what I can do to make this a little more clear because you're right there's Pete I don't know how you're feeling I like the song Mike didn't love the song and we both are saying there's an ambiguity there like do you know who the shooter is I don't know no no I don't no. right so so 3 for 3 ambiguous shooter yeah. um yeah, it's it's really interesting that yeah he 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 maybe there's a reference there that we don't know about. Um, which I'm is just always say, amazed that they can keep you know songs on the like cutting room floor for thirty years, forty years, and then like bring them back. I don't even. I mean, out. like oh, you remember this? Do you remember how this part goes? I, I'm I, there's a certain uh, level of uh, suspension of disbelief. I'll say. On sure. That part. Yeah. 
Um, let's go to last man standing. Bob, you want to start that one? Sure. Uh, I felt like this one um, kind of leaned in a bit more with the – it was not as long, uh, a little bit more of that E Street feel. Uh, I liked it, didn't love it. But overall, I might keep it. I, I felt pretty good about it. Yeah, I wrote that I'm keeping it. This is the one that he wrote, I guess, about George Thies, um, who died in 2016, like we mentioned, um, right. from the Castiles. 2018, um, I think. Right? Oh, 2018. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's got the signature sax part. The lyrics are all there. Yeah. yeah. Um, I really like, I don't know. Ed, the first couple of listens, I was like, I couldn't really get past the lyrics just because I feel like I've heard this song a number of times, but then sure, the fact that it's, you know, like really about this guy and you know, that he had known for a long time. And the fact that, um, you know, Bruce is getting older, people he knows are passing away, you know, like eras just continue to end for him. I feel like as the years go by, I mean, it was like kind of touching in that way. So I think it's a keeper for me. Yeah, I, I liked it. Um, I think it's one of the better songs because it's, yeah, it's, it's probably the most, one of the more personal and direct songs on yeah, the album. Yeah. Um, the, uh, there was one lyric though that really stuck out for me. Um, it's in verse three. I can guess it. <laughs> Is it black leather club all along Route 9? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How'd you know? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> so, so, but it's, but it's, let's, let's be clear. It's, it is well on on this website. I'm looking at it. It's black hyphen leather clubs right, right. all along Route Nine. So is he talking about upholstery? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, and uh, you know, I, I I live right off of Route Nine. I'm I'm sure. two minutes I'm two minutes from Route Nine right now. Yeah, and I, I'm quite familiar with with Route Nine, and. I'm like, what is he talking about here? You know, I mean, <laughs> he's talking about the carpet place. Did they? Yeah, you know, I mean, no. There, there, there were there were a handful of bars along Route Nine, but uh, I don't remember the upholstery that well. <laughs> that, that it would have stuck with stuck with me all these years. You know, you actually you saw more red upholstery. <laughs> I, I would think red leather clubs were more popular. <laughs> I would think, particularly like Italian restaurants would have a bar. Yeah, you know, they they'd always have the red leather. I'm so, wondering is he is he trying to allude? Well, so so there's a lot of different ways we could take black leather clubs, um, mm-hmm. and and you know I'm gonna I'll stay with the PG versions of this, but uh, but I'm I'm thinking he's th- talking jackets, right? He's talking, yeah, uh, okay. you know, which yeah. makes sense, right? Like, okay. but but again, as people who are familiar with Route Nine, uh, uh-huh. There's a certain there's a certain nostalgia here. He's talking about the the times when he was getting started off, and I, I have to imagine that Route Nine had a little bit more um, going on in terms of bars back then. But at this point, unless you're talking strip malls um, or Wawas, there's you know, I mean, I can't, he's a little, I can't think he's of a, maybe maybe at the at the one bowling alley I can think of right before you get the freehold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Howell Lanes. Yeah, there we but, go. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm thinking about, yeah, all right, so maybe we're talking about black leather jackets. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. then I'm thinking, well, okay, were there, were there a bunch of Fonzie-like, uh, you know, guys running around back then? I don't remember black leather jackets even being that popular. Uh, I mean, he's older than me, a little older than me. 
Yeah, and, uh, I think there might be a little bit of creative uh, liberty on that because I, uh, maybe, but I would have I would have gone denim, I, black leather clubs. Yeah, that that's a uh, one motorc- no, no, a motorcycle. I'm trying to think. Yeah, it was a motorcycle clubs. Were they playing motorcycle clubs? Yeah, it was a motorcycle shop. I, I remember going to a motorcycle shop along <laughs> Route Nine, but uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of what you know where the motorcycle gangs hung out and how on route nine i i don't don't recall anything like that no i think you got to go a little further south on nine like you got to get down into bayville before i'm i'm thinking you're seeing motorcycle clubs but uh-huh. um but no you know what there there is an element here um obviously the reference to route nine uh you know a, a pretty big bruce lyrical thing yeah. there um there's also a familiarity it, it's super personal and i think this is where he is a strong songwriter and and where it kind of kicks in emotive and i think he he speaks well and and the 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 vocals here kind of emote that he's speaking of like oh we played knights of columbus and the fireman's ball pete Mm -hmm. is the fireman's ball the fireman's ball isn't the thing up in up your way up by red bank is it um we have the fireman we have the fireman's fair in fairhaven that's That's the one i'm most familiar with that's where i went as a kid but and they do fireman's ball there's another one there's one in manisquan i don't know but yeah it's all you know he he really gets pretty specific with this stuff um but also leaves it open enough that people like oh knights of columbus i know knights of columbus oh fireman's ball i know the union hall of course you know yeah so uh Mm -hmm. this is a good song this this is maybe not the most classical but but there's there's a there's an element where the lyrics kind of you could you could squint and and be like yeah you're, you're just you're just strumming the same old tricks but i feel good about it on this track i feel i actually really i i think I, i'm i'm talking myself into the song more, and more. <laughs> um i think it grows when you listen to it more this, this one yeah. you know on my second list and i'm like okay this i like this one yeah i agree. Uh, so how do we feel about the power of prayer? Uh, Mike, why don't you start us off on the power of prayer? Uh, yeah, I'm not I'm going to. Yeah, this this was not a, a favorite of mine. Um, I don't know. He, he's he's been doing this thing for a while now where uh, rock and roll, he, you know, the rock and roll salvation. Yeah. Uh, and if you've seen him live, he, he, he turns into a, a preacher at one point, you know, preaching yeah. the salvation. Salvation. I mean, it's it's great live, you know, but sure. you know, is, is it real? I, I, you know, yeah, it's been going on a while too, you know. So it's 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 not, it just feels like okay, we're back, we're doing this, and he's you know he's been making more uh, religious references uh, in his music uh, in the Broadway play in the Broadway show. You know, there's a fair amount of he's sort of more accepting. I mean, in his early music, he was sort of a he was always referring to himself as an ex-Catholic. Yep. Um, so, you know, there seemed like there was some distance. But now I guess he's worked out something. I don't know if he's a churchgoer now, mm. but it, it does seem like he's a little more accept, accepting of uh, religious uh, interpretations. Uh, let's put it that way. And this yeah. this one, I guess he's, he's, he's sort of coming right out, uh, being direct about it, but... Um, you know, the, the lyrics weren't convincing to me. You know, they just seemed sort of cliched and, yeah. uh, you know, corny a little. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not a fan of this song. 
Yeah, I felt I felt similarly. I I felt like it was a little played out in terms of the content. I mean, and in that documentary, I think at this part he's talking about um, how he was a big fan of buying forty fives and you know seven inches seven inch singles back then, and you know always thought of it as like you know you could if you play the perfect song, it's essentially it has the power of prayer. And I was like, I feel like I've heard him talk about this so many different times in so many different ways before, and it never really caught me. And you know, him doing it again definitely didn't catch me this time. Um, yeah, I don't know. This is on my cut list. Yeah, you both said it really well. I don't need to drag it out. This song is an easy cut for me. I actually felt like, as a song, as a track the repetition of that's the power of prayer didn't pull me in at all. Um, I get it. I get the imagery, but it also took a second to be very honest. Like he's done it better and more efficiently in other places as have other artists with this illusion of music as religion, music as salvation, music as, you know, uh, divinity, whatever you want to put it. So uh, the songs just, it, it doesn't, it doesn't work for me. And I, 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 on future listens to this record, it's a skip track. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now, House of a Thousand Guitars is kind of an interesting song to me because the first time I listened to the record, it made me stop immediately because it reminded me so much of another song that I then basically had to do the the mental work of figuring out what that song was, which today, um, upon not having figured it out yesterday <laughs> was texting a good friend of mine and leaving him a voice memo of, Hey, I need help figuring out this song. I'm going to sing the melody. This other <laughs> song reminds me of it. Uh, he didn't guess it, but he got me close enough that I was able to figure it out. Um, this song is fine, but I can't get over how much, there's an underlying melody that reminds me of the Christopher Cross song, Arthur's theme. <laughs> All right. Okay. So uh, I, I really have a hard time with it. When I went back and was like, okay, now that I've solved this weird earworm, um, I thought it was fine. It didn't, it, it's a good, it's kind of a, a bit of a, a tempo changer and kind of clears the plate. I, I actually, like considerably more than the power of prayer, but, uh, but it didn't pull me in and I was constantly distracted thinking about Arthur's theme. And, uh, if you <laughs> I find, never would have thought about you that. find yourself caught between the moon and New York city, um, that's all I could think about. Okay. What do you check it out? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Please. Uh, Arthur, <laughs> Arthur's theme by Christopher cross from the I've, Arthur. I've heard, I've heard of it. Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You want to go, Pete? Yeah, yeah, this one was an easy cut for me. Um, okay. I just, I, I don't know. Sometimes he repeats a thing too many times. It makes me dislike it. <laughs> um, funny story. I was in the car listening to this and my wife was in the car with me and she wasn't really paying attention. She's not all that much of a Springsteen fan, but she like turns to me during the, like at the, I don't know, three, four minute mark of this song. And she was just like, I fucking hate this song. <laughs> Yeah, all right. Okay. So, so that could yeah. have that could have tainted my whole perception of it. I'm not uh, sure, but yeah, really, I don't know. This one didn't do too much for me. It just i I didn't feel like it had the energy of other tracks. Um, 
yeah so mike are you going to give us consensus or are you going to oh yeah i mean okay (laughs) and and particularly coming after after the the last song it's like almost like a one-two knockout punch yeah you know it's 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 the same sort of theme you know i'm like uh why a thousand guitars i mean it's you know (laughs) it it, it just makes it just makes the line clunkier (laughs) you know why why not just house of guitars and and then you know there's the line right in the beginning I tally my wounds and count the scars. Tally my wounds. This guy's from New Jersey. Tally, <laughs> right. I've, I've never heard anybody use the word tally in my life. You know, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to use the same word in a line. I get it. You know, but just yeah. say, you know, I count my wounds and my scars or something like that. You know, and you don't have to use the word tally. Um, so yeah, yeah. No, I'm not a fan of this song, and it's it's again he's preaching. Yeah, uh, his his rock and roll uh, theme. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, you know you're you're totally right. We went from uh, hey, music is uh, is it can be prayer and uh, and and by the way, the House of a Thousand Guitars is our church. You, exactly. You know, uh, here's all the people and look at the steeple or whatever that little hand trick is, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. So we we've got a couple cutters. Uh, Pete, kick us off on Rainmaker. So this one it just continues in the 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 cut bin for me. Um it just I feel like it drags. Um there are certain parts where like, you know, I was listening to it on Spotify and not on a record, but it felt like it like the recording felt like it was at the wrong speed or something. Like it just there was something about the song that just did not feel right to me. Um I guess he wrote this during the Bush era. It's really the only song I felt that like hinted at politics in any real way. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's more about, I mean, this is a recent song. Uh, so I think this, yeah, this is his political song. Uh, yeah. But uh, I agree. I'm, I'm not a fan of this song. I mean, the album's sort of getting really weak in the middle here. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to go forward, but uh yeah, he's even mentions Yahweh in this one. It's yes, yeah, it does. It's kind of odd. It's a bit much this song, but uh, this was, I guess, as close as he was going to get to doing something political. People have been complaining, you know, that why isn't he doing more political type stuff? And you know, I think in the Rolling Stone interview, he uh, he said it would just be boring, which I. I I tend to agree with, you know, I mean, same, you know, political, most, most political songs don't age well. Um, so that's why he sort of keeps it vague here. Uh, but you can, you can sort of get, get his message. I think we um, also know where Springsteen lies on all this stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah I, I actually think he, he probably doesn't feel the need to hammer people over the head with it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> It's one of those things where one, I don't know, did we, is track six through nine the uh, the religious section of this record? Um, because this is track eight and we're right in the midst of it. Um, and, and what I was going to say is, you know, I, I this, this song, on my initial read through, I was, I was, uh, I'm a keeper. I'm going to keep this song. You know what? I'm going to keep this song. Uh, okay. I don't right. hate it. Um, I actually like the chorus i like the kind of the reprise i actually think it it moves pretty well um 
and it's pretty smooth. He 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 kind of hits some nice parts here lyrically that I, that I enjoyed. The Yahweh reference was a little, almost feels um, much like you said about Tally in the last song. This feels like he he needed to crowbar it in there, but mm-hmm. um, but my overall take is that maybe this is the case where you know compared to great Bruce Springsteen songs, this is shit. Mm-hmm. Compared to shit, this ain't bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I actually, uh, I did, I liked I liked the tempo of it, and I really liked where they end up with the chorus. I, I, I thought it was a little bit memorable. I, I thought the first couple repetitions really worked. But, um, but yeah, it, it's, not a, it's not a classic. That's the one part I'll say is I don't think this is going to bring the house down. Yeah. And I think there was a little... I'd have to listen to it again, but I think towards the end of the song is a little self-reference. I think there's the, the riff from uh, Waiting on a Sunny Day comes oh. in at the end. Oh, yep. right. So yep. I guess that's his little, hey, but there's, there's a sunny day coming. <laughs> <All> <laughs> right. And then it's you just, can see the you know, and uh, thematic homage and uh-huh. you know, Rainmaker to Sunny Day. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right. All right, you're clever. Clever, Bruce. Um, all right, uh, if I was the priest... This is another one of the um, old tracks, we'll call it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I will start us on this one and say that maybe should have left this one in the box. Yeah. Um, this didn't really do it for me. I, uh, you know, what's so interesting about it is that lyrically, I, I wasn't thrown off on this. It's really kind of in that tumbling narrative dylan style but i just it it, it, there's nothing about this song that pulls me in um and and i actually feel pulled in the first two songs even the first half of the record I'm, i'm pulled in quite a bit more than i am by this song this song drags a bit and um lyrically i'm left outside yeah i felt the same drags i was I don't know. After the last couple of tracks, I, I was looking for something and this didn't get me there. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Now the, uh, lyrically it's just all over the map. Yeah. You know, I mean, if Jesus was a sheriff and I was, if I were the priest, I mean, what does that mean? You know, what's he talking about? I mean, you know, this is like, I guess it's supposed to be a Western. He's doing like a, uh, a Western uh, movie here and, you know, it's just all over the place. Doesn't make any sense. Um, it's it, it, you know, to me, I was thinking. I I always have Outlaw Pete close to my mind. Yeah. So uh, I'm like, <laughs> uh, this was like Outlaw Pete before Outlaw Pete. Right. You know, it's like he's, he's, he's he always had a western in him. You know, this this never came out. He put out Outlaw Pete, and he's like, I think I got another western in me. Yeah. <laughs> it's called If I Was the Priest. Are you guys Dylan? Are you guys Dylan fans? Oh yeah, I mean, you're still a fan. Yeah, yeah, I'm a, a lot loosely. Uh, you know, there's there's certain. I like a lot of the hits and the albums that I've really dove into. I like, but then there's others that I've I've sat with and don't don't just wash over me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got like a varied catalog, but uh, yeah, it's funny because I mean, sometimes I think Bruce does Dylan fairly well, and then other times like he really falls flat on it, but it's tough to get right, I guess, unless you're Dylan, and even Dylan I'm gets looking, it wrong. I'm, I'm so. looking. I'm look. I'm looking at the lyrics, and he's you know. And Papa rode the shotgun on the Fargo line. There's still too many bad boys trying to work the same line, so he's like rhyming, 
he's rhyming two lines with the same word. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, 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 he's not even like trying, you know, it's just, yeah. Uh, uh, and you know what, if, if we, if we let's, let's play full on uh, believer and say, these are songs from 73. And we'll, we'll even say that these lyrics are from then they feel like it. And there is a, a certain level of, um, of acknowledgement that I think we don't think Bruce Springsteen, even, even 10 years after these were written, would have written, oh, yeah. know, they were writing shine and mine. Yeah. And yeah. Anne and Cheyenne. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and especially like two rhyme, uh, two line rhyme structure kind of things, you know, like back and forth. It's a, it's yeah. Sometimes his simplicity works, but here it's the word salad. He's got a lot that he's spitting out and not yeah. always kicking. Like I, I, what's funny is I, I'm saying all this about the song and there's a few, so, a few lines on this track that really uh, like stuck out to me, you know, mm-hmm. but that was a line and it wasn't a chorus. It wasn't a verse. It isn't a, a section. It's just like, Oh yeah, that line, you know, yonder mountain. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. That, that really resonated. But you know, then it's followed up by a bunch of other stuff that didn't stick at all. Um, in the documentary, he doesn't, you know, he, 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 he comments on, you know, some wild lyrics coming when it, when they're doing these songs, but, you know, he never says like, why did he dig this, these songs up? You know, why? I mean, I'm sure he's, I'm not like one of the fanatics. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of other songs that haven't made the light of day. Oh, and, sure. and and you would think maybe the later songs, you know, would have a little more. Uh, his writing would have improved. Yeah, you know, why did he go for this early stuff where he was still? I think he was twenty-two years old when he wrote these songs. Yeah, so it's a different perspective. Um, yeah. It just seems odd to me, you know. I I think it also stands in sharp contrast. Let's let's go right into the next song, Ghosts. In this song, he he has simplified his songwriting, his lyric writing, so much. Yeah, and I think it really. I, I think this is a good song. I'm. I, it's definitely a keeper to me. Um, I think this song much more gracefully catches some of the same energy he's looking for on the kind of <laughs> religious quartet of. The Power of Prayer, House of a Thousand mm-hmm. Guitars, Rainmaker, If I Was the Priest, without bludgeoning and with also kind of fitting in with the, the other theme he's got going on. Mm-hmm. And it's this reminiscent and it's still kind of, you know, he, he's, he's still got this passion for the music and the yearning for, for a lost friend and it, it works for me. So this song, I think, fits in this the, the opening, the two opening tracks, "Ghosts," and then um, the closing track. I think really do a nice job of, uh, and I'll see you in my dreams. The last song um, of carrying a narrative of what this album's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. How do you feel about the song, though? This song, I love. Um, it's one of the high points for me. Um, I feel like it would absolutely kill live. Um, the lyrics are there. I mean, it's the same, a lot of the same references, you know, that you've, you're familiar with from Springsteen, but, uh, but I feel like it's done 
tastefully. Um, I don't know. Cool song. I really like it. I liked it first time I heard it. I still like it now. Um, I don't know. It's it's probably tied for my favorite song on the record. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't think I. I I'm quite where you guys are, um, but I see that this is the theme that's going through the record. You know, this this song is is part of that. Um, also, uh, an odd coincidence. This is the second song in a row that mentions buckskin jacket. Yeah, so uh, it's a little weird. Well, that, that was the part I was thinking. He, uh, one of the when I think about lyrical repetitions, Bruce Springsteen talks about clothing a lot, mm-hmm. a lot. Okay, yeah, it's okay. it's kind of nuts if you think about it. Just I mean, when you get a chance, you're thinking about it later. Think about all the times he references clothing. It's been since day one. He's uh-huh. always <laughs> talking about clothing. Um, yeah. But yeah, the buckskin jacket reference is really funny. Yeah, he wants to get the details right. I mean, you know, that's what a good songwriter does. Yeah, well, and it's it's one of the most it's a grounded visual cue that is so it's so every man, right? Mm-hmm. If, if I if any of the three of us were to walk into a room, you might go, "Oh, you know, the guy uh he's kind of tall, uh, you know, vaguely pale and uh he was wearing this shirt." It's mm-hmm. one of the first things you go to. Um and uh, it's it's kind of it's it's both folksy and like I said it's whimsical in a Main Street kind of way. So so you you weren't with us on this, but you see some of the things that we're we're saying. Do you think and, this is a good enough song to keep on the record? Uh, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll have to give it a couple more listens. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I think I was still saying, you know, it was a little too you know in his wheelhouse. You know, like we've been here before. Oh yeah, but but now I you know I see he's he's talking he's addressing the people he's lost and uh, so I, I see it fits in on this record so uh, I think you know that would be worth keeping just for that to keep keep that theme going. Yeah, so, I actually I, I see I see this as one of the songs that could make live show. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think this who knows about long term, but it could make live show for a while. Um, Song for Orphans. Yeah, this is the this is the last of the old songs. That's right, mm-hmm. and uh, it was written in 1971. Uh, and again, it's just you know I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> you know, it's you know, but that's that's youth. You know, yep. youth. You, you know, you're just trying to cram it all in there, right? And and you're 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 having fun you're using your words. Yeah, exactly. But I I don't know what he's getting at, you know. Uh, But, uh, you know, them black blind poet generals and restless loud white boys. The times grew thin and the axis grew somehow incomplete. Well, instead of child lions, we had aging junkie sheep. I mean, you know. Yeah, he's 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 doing the sort of uh, yeah. That's that's Dylan, where you know the wordplay is is going on. But yeah, here it's you know with Dylan at least the images are a little more interesting. Yeah, and and not just all over the place like this. Well, that's that's uh, I'd say that the Dylan uh, characters and and where he brings them 
are, are certainly more interesting, but mostly because these feel so true to what you said is the idea of like using every word in the dictionary, that quote from Dylan. This feels like a very jumbled image because you go from that verse into the second verse and it's cheerleader tramps and kids with big amps sounding in the void. Okay, uh, all right, you, it's high school, high society vamps, ex-heavyweight mm-hmm. champs mistaking suit for soil. And it's like, all right, you're, you're, it feels like, you know, uh, the cast of, of, you know, a 30 year TV show where there's a a soap opera level amount of characters to know, you know, there's just so much going on. Um, this song more so than the other two pull pull ups, we'll say from the the early seventies feels very of the time. Mm. And, and I think it's, without context a modern listener hears this and is like it's almost confounding i think my your sentiment of what is this is head on it's like what is this it just it you you need too much context Mm -hmm. for this song and that takes the listener out and that's exactly how i felt i would i would cut this song off the record and the chorus sounds uh like a band song to me Mm. uh uh i could hear that the night they drove old Dixie down, or was it the weight? One or the other. Yeah, I, I forget which one, but it's it, it sounded like um, it sounded like the band to me. Yeah, yeah, I uh, it's a good pull, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, musically, I I would actually keep this on the record, but yeah, the lyrics take me out of it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, because musically, I, I didn't, I didn't, it, it didn't, it was nonplussed, and I, I actually probably would let it run. But when I started listening to the lyrics, I remember that line about the Confederacy. You really got me and i'm like the confederacy's in my name now what huh you know it it, i think it's a good rule of thumb that if the lyrical content makes you perk your ear in a way that you're then a little bit confused afterwards that's not a great sign for your listening Mm. you know that's not that's not a great sign for the song so we've arrived at the final song i'll see you in my dreams pete why don't you kick us off so this one, I feel like it's uh, it's good. I mean, I'm going to keep it. I don't love it. Um, it's kind of just a perfect closing track. I feel like it was written to be the closing track. Um, you know, um, I don't know. I don't have much to say on this one. I feel like there's not much new here, but it's, uh, you know, it's a solid closer. It kind of goes along with the sentiment that he was, you know, kind of riding on for most of the record. Um, just about, you know, you know, reflecting on his past, but also, you know, thinking about, you know, um, all the good things he has going on currently. So it's a nice song. I don't know. I don't have too much to say about it, frankly. Yeah, I, um, I like it. I think, uh, this is the, this is the, uh, bookend, you know, this is the other half of the cover from the first song, uh, Unlike March, where it comes in like a lion and goes out like a lamb, it comes in like a lamb and kind of goes out like a lamb. I, I like this song. I think it's pretty pleasant. It doesn't have some of the energy that a lot of my favorite songs on this, or, or I think the first half of the record really carries. But um, but it does. It, it's got this spirit to it that I think this kind of touches on the, the heart of what this album is. So mm-hmm. um, I, I enjoy it. I appreciate it. I think it's uh, it's certainly a keeper for me. Um, lyrically it's, it's a bit repetitious. It's, you know, kind of cycling through a lot of the ideas, but 
it's sort of like him trying to tie off loose ends, if you will, you know, and, and it's so interesting to talk about a record that's, uh, you know, a memorial for lost acquaintance, lost friends, lost people in your life. But this seems, it seems done both eloquently and familiar, you know, it, it feels very Bruce. And uh, at the same time, it's him kind of coming to terms with where he's at in his life. Yeah, I would uh, say uh, I like this song. Um, it's with the the main theme. I'm looking at I'm just looking at the song titles, yeah. and I'm thinking this would have made a good side of an album for me. Where you go, one minute you're here, letter to you, yep. last last man standing, mm-hmm. ghosts, and I'll see you in my dreams. Mm-hmm. I think that that's those the are album. like yeah. Yeah, well, that's it's well, a half album. It's, it's a half <laughs> album, exactly. But that's so, you're, you're totally right. That's the theme. I, I'm saying that, that would have been a perfect side for me, and, and that's probably I'll make a little playlist for this album, and I'm, I'm taking away five songs. Yeah, you know, uh, but uh, I'll see you in my dreams was a nice closer. Um, do we want to talk about "For Death Is Not the End" lyric? <laughs> should, we, should we should we have a discussion yeah right <laughs> no, but anyway he, he, he's he's come he's come he's come he's come to a different place which is which is great you know i mean everybody changes as they age and i guess as as you get older uh things weigh on you more and maybe you come to uh, a different conclusion than you did when you were younger um so uh yeah. You know, you saying that really clicked, Mike. Um, the other most memorable part of that that interview I heard done with him on NPR, um, which I, I thought it was actually it was actually very interesting, and I give a lot of credit to Bruce because he he just kind of he fed the content and and st- st- uh, did the steering on the interview. He's like, you know, death was obviously the centerpiece of this record, but he's like when I was young, uh, death was always around. He's like, mm-hmm. you know, there were a lot of people, a lot of family who was dying. Oh, and, yeah. and he said, you know, and I, I bet he said something very similar in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that going to these funerals and wakes and he's like, you know, gr- growing up Irish, Italian, Italian mm-hmm. families. This was the only time you see everyone, all your f- friends, relatives, acquaintances, all at one place at one time are these events. And he's like, but then you go through this long section of your life, the, the middle of your life, 20 to 40, 25 to 50, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. where death is less a part of your life and the people in your mm-hmm. life are, are there and present and active. But then you hit where he's at, you know, and, mm-hmm. and he's like, you know, from 50 to 70, it's once again, very, very present. So mm-hmm. um, I actually thought the way he spoke about that brought me more into this as an album conceptually. And especially the songs you listed off because it's like, Oh, okay. This is him. He's, he's working through a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's right. always cool when you see an artist doing that on a theme. Mm-hmm. So um, overall, I actually, I really appreciated this record. I, uh, I, I think I liked it more than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. And, and for two big reasons, one, um, the theme and how it was handled, but, Two, overall, I really enjoyed the sound. And, and I think I, I've said it several times, but that warmth, the familiarity of the E Street Band and a lot of that sound, you know, I think there was more saxophone on this record than a Bruce record in a long time. 
and <laughs> I've always felt like it's been tastefully done. So mm. I uh, got to have those sax solos. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think this is a, a worthwhile Bruce Springsteen record to check out, and uh, and I, I think I will go back to at least a handful of the songs on here. For sure. So we're getting to the end here, but I have two questions, one for both of you and one just for Mike. So apparently he was given a guitar by, this is a quote from him, an Italian kid um, mm-hmm. at the doors one night when he was doing the, uh, the Broadway shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he says that he wrote all the songs on it. And then mm-hmm. apparently he sat down with Roy Bitten, who's the, the keyboard player. Um, and Bitten was like, you know, hold these songs as sketches. We'll get the East street band together and we'll kind of build them all out, you know? So my question for you guys, is that story true? Did he make it up or <laughs> does it even matter? Um, doesn't matter, but I'm going to say it's true because, because at this point it's not like he needs any help winning people over. It's not like he needs help winning over the, uh, Italian Americans of the New York, New Jersey, <laughs> greater area to be all in for Bruce Springsteen. So I'm going to say doesn't matter, but it's true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's true too. Um, my, uh, my sister-in-law is a huge, I mean, I'm a big fan, but she is almost a stalker type fan. And, <laughs> and, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a story. Uh, she, she saw the Broadway sh- show two times, I think. And those those tickets weren't cheap. I mean, that's what kept yeah. me away. I mean, I you know, to me, I want to see Springsteen with a band. Yep. Uh, you know, I don't want to see him solo. And you know, when I saw the Netflix uh, version, I was like, oh, I'm glad I didn't go because it just yeah, I felt it, exactly the same. I, way. I, I like I like when the band is there and they're they're doing their thing. But my my um, the second time, I think it was my sister in law went to see the show. She was she was eating in a restaurant that sort of looked right down onto the theater, yeah, where it was playing, and she noticed that it was it was one it was getting late, and I don't I don't know if she went to this restaurant specifically to sort of see Bruce come in, but but what was happening there was like a gridlock traffic around the theater, and somehow I guess she knew what time he usually arrives, yeah, so she 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 realized, Oh, he's stuck in traffic. Chances are he's going to have to, <laughs> he's going to have to bail out of his car at some point and walk it because that's, that's the fastest way to get to the theater. Sure. So, so she literally, I think left the meal <laughs> at the restaurant and, and, and hit the street yeah. and intercept and intercepted him. She, she, <laughs> she, 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 she did know she, she was able to figure it out. She got down and she she inter- intercepted him. But guess what? Bruce was not in a good mood. He'd just been sitting in traffic. That's right. <laughs> he, he's, he, he's late. She's trying to, you know, be nice and, you know, polite with him, you know, chat him up and so on. But he's not in the mood. Oh, and, no. <laughs> and she she, she she took a picture, you know, with this flying selfie with her. And Bruce is not even looking at the camera. Oh, he's no. looking, he look He's looking dead straight ahead of him. I'm like I'm late. I got I'm in the mood for this. So, but it's it is a great picture though. I mean, I, it's like wow. Okay, uh, I feel like says it almost, all. That's almost better to have a story like that. I feel like oh yeah, no, it's a great story. Fun. You know, yeah, it is a great that. story. I love that. Um, 
Yeah. So okay. So we think it's true, Pete. What's your what's yeah. your question for Mike? I mean, so so question for Mike um, and. Mike, just for reference, we did a, a previous episode on um, Born in the USA. So this question mm-hmm. kind of comes from that. Mm-hmm. For you, Dancing in the Dark, yes or no? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't had a 12-inch. <laughs> you know? I yeah. mean, at the time, at the time it, it was like, oh, you know, uh, what's he doing? He's doing a, tw- uh, a dance track, you yeah. know, you know. So it was like, yeah, this was Disco Bruce or something. Yeah. So, <laughs> and the funny thing is, at the time, uh, the Stone Pony was, you know, right on the, the uh, Ocean Avenue. Yep. And then r- one block away, up from the Stone Pony, there was a dance club called Xanadu's. <laughs> yeah. And and I think that song, you know, I guess he used to pop in there every once in a while. And he wanted to see the DJ play that song in a dance club. And I think, I think that may have been the first time that song was played. Wow. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I, I sort of remember that at the time. And uh, I mean, yeah, I like it. I mean, you guys don't like it or. Oh, I'm a big fan. Big fan. Bob's, okay. a, huge, Bob's a huge fan. I'm, I, oh, okay. I, I could leave it. I've just, I've heard it too many times, but that your story makes me like it more. I'm not going to lie. Oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know if it was inspired by Xanadu's <laughs> <laughs> or, or he just figured that would be the place he wanted to see whether it worked as a, as a dance track, you know, he, he and, figured, he figured he had the stone pony crowd on lock and he was looking down. He's like, well, how do I connect with the Xanadu <laughs> folks? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, but, well, uh, yeah, Xanadu's, that was someplace. <laughs> well, uh, Mike, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this was awesome. I hope, uh, I hope you consider coming back on again. Uh, we'd love yeah, to have this you. This was good. This was really fun. Um, Pete, where can you, uh, do you got anything else? Uh, I'm looking at my notes. It was a couple things. Yeah. Did you guys notice with, uh, uh burning train? The first time I, I was listening to it, I thought I thought he was he was saying Butter Train. I was like, "What? What the hell? What the hell is this song, Butter Train?" Yeah, I didn't really get what he was saying at first either. Okay, so uh, that was one note I wanted to talk about. Butter Train uh, would have been would have made the song a little more interesting. Uh, yeah, we, were, we we were over the borders. I watched you in holy water. We whispered our back pra- black prayers and rose up in flames. Take me on your butter train. <laughs> <laughs> and and then you know on uh, House of a Thousand Guitars, I got a note about yeah the one the one line, truth ring out from every small town bar. And uh, I just had an experience in my, one of my local bars. Yeah, I don't I don't know if you saw me talking about it on Twitter. Uh, Florida man came to New Jersey <laughs> on his um, vacation. Okay, and and he was in my bar the other night and. Uh, I ran into him in the bathroom, and he uh, he wanted to uh, bring his drum into the bar. Okay. He he had been pounding on the bar, you know, to the music on the jukebox, and I guess he wanted he wanted to work it out on a real thing. He said, uh, "No, I don't think that would be a very good idea. You know, it might be a little too loud in here." So he thought about it, and so he didn't bring the, the drum in. Uh, but then later, he got into a fight with somebody over the. The uh, mask, uh, mask wearing uh, protocol. Of course. And uh, he didn't like the guy's attitude, which, as a bartender, I, I've noticed when, whenever patrons get into a discussion about attitude, 
it's always a bad scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I think and, as, the line "I don't like your attitude" is just yeah. That, that's a precursor to um, physical it, contact. It's it's all downhill from there. Yeah, and that's what happened. And he was he was thrown out of the bar. So I don't know what what small town bars that Bruce is going to where there's all this <laughs> all this truth on, on display. But I don't, I, I don't see a lot of truth in the bars. No, I, I just wanted to get that out there. Yeah, no, I, I think you're. I think you. Uh, we might need to have him on and actually say so. So we need you to uh, like like um, crime scene detectives. Like Bruce, we'd like to get a list of all the the small town bars you've been to recently uh, because we need to vet this. We don't. We don't think we're. Uh, this isn't adding up. We don't hear a lot of truth ringing out. And the thing is, he he does show up in, in you know different bars. He I sure mean, does. <laughs> he showed. He showed up. Uh, I don't know if you know where Farmingdale is. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, there's a bar there that you know I go to every once in a while, mm-hmm. uh, and they have music in there. And uh, I didn't know that uh, his brother-in-law is in a, a local band, uh, Patty's brother. Okay, and he was playing at this bar in uh, Farmingdale, and he and Bruce showed up. You know, so he, you know, now I've seen him show up at different uh, bars for other acts, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I've seen him uh, at a Marshall Crenshaw show. I saw him at a Graham Parker show. Those were at the Stone Pony, which are obvious. But then, mm. you know, I saw Steve Earle in Long Branch, mm-hmm. and Bruce was there for that one. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I give him credit that he'll just go out and does – and people don't bother him. You know, he – he wears a, a baseball hat like we can't figure it out, you know. <laughs> right. he, he, he wears it low, you know, like so it's like down right over his face. But you know, as he goes through the crowd, I mean, hey Bruce, what's going on? We get, the, but they're cool, you know. Nobody's being idiots. He has he he gets um, he gets local slash uh, what they call the L.A. treatment, I think, in mm-hmm. the tour largely where where you know in los angeles a lot of famous people like to live there because there's a lot of famous people and and mm-hmm. you know there's it's kind of this you you try you know unless your name's michael jordan the code is just just let them do their thing try do mm-hmm. your yeah, yeah yeah but but i think bruce really gets that at the shore you know I, yeah, I, yeah, I've, yeah seen him, I've seen him up at the boardwalk at different times so mm-hmm. you know it's 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 still he's he's bound to bring a crowd but everyone tries to be pretty cool Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, so I, I really appreciate you again for coming on, Mike. Hey, thank you, Pete. Where can we be found on social media? At it came from NJ Pod on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can email us at it came from NJ Pod at gmail dot com. Right. And and Mike, uh, where can the people find you? Well, I mean, I guess at apmike dot com. Uh, is where I'm at mostly these days. I'm I'm going through the uh, Rolling Stone 500 greatest albums, and I'm I'm doing my little one tweet per album take on Twitter, and people seem to enjoy it. Yeah, but, I'm actually I'm I'm a big fan. What what uh what drove you to do that? I'm curious. Uh, I guess sheer boredom. You know, I mean, <laughs> I, ha- having having well, a lot team. of time on sure having a lot of time on my hands. You know. Just trying to have like uh, some sort of schedule for the day because yeah, I mean, my my other work has been out as well. You know, I work at uh, MetLife Stadium, Prudential Center, PNC, and all of that's been shut down. So uh, I've had a lot of free time on my hands. Sure. <laughs> well, any album? Any albums that you've listened to for the first time that you'd recommend? 
<laughs> which ones? Um, you know, I guess the, the funniest one was, and Tom reacted, was there's a John Mayer record on there. And, you know, I, I have not listened to one John Mayer album or song, I think, ever. Yeah. Uh, being aware of it anyway. And uh, I think it's called Continuum. Okay. And Steve Jordan's on there. He produced it. Uh, the drummer uh, used yeah. to be on uh, Late Night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was I was surprised. I mean, it's like, well, this isn't bad. This is a solid album, you know, and the songs were different. The songwriting was good. Uh, so I guess that was the biggest surprise, you know. All right. Very good. Well, uh, everyone follow at AP Mike on Twitter. And uh, thanks again. We will talk to you guys next week. Thanks, everybody.